0: As we continue our series on Emmaus, um, looking at how Matthew 28 um, answers the question of what, what we do here. And, and that's my question to us today. Like, why are we here? Um, not, not in a big philosophical way although we could answer that question too, but what I mean literally is, why are we in this building? Why are we here at this time? Um, it's, it's a Sunday morning. It's a, it's a day most of us, uh, most of us have off, have freedom, have choice, we could be doing. Uh, other things uh, as Owen has said he would be golfing uh, right we could be at the movies we could be doing a lot of things besides here Um, and so what brings us here and and for the Christian what I'm really asking is why do we why do we pursue the Christian walk why do we pursue discipleship and the Lord within the context of a church our God is uh, our God is omnipresent we could certainly worship him from the comfort of our own home, right? We could study the Word and, and we do things at home. So why do we come here? Why do we join together? And so I, I want to answer that question in light of our series um, this month of asking why, why is Emmaus here? Why do we do what we do? Um, and so let's look again at Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, um, and see the allusions, the, the things that it points to that, that show us the answer to that question. In verse 16... So I want us to point out first three, three important details, three things that I see in this passage that, that sometimes we, we overlook and we don't spend time on. In, anytime we hear the, the reference to the Great Commission, right, where do our thoughts immediately go? They go to missionaries, they go to sharing your faith, they go to uh, witnessing to those around you, um, and, that's, and that's right, that's correct. That's the, that's the primary interpretation of, of this passage is to take that message, but But as we look deeper, we we also want to consider the more subtle implications that that are in this text. Uh, Because this passage doesn't just stop with evangelism. Um, It's a pursue and a call further than that. Um, It's not just a call to go and make converts, um, it's a call for us to make disciples. Right, and that's the first thing that I see. Being, being a disciple is not just a, just a one-time thing, right? It's not a decision you make one day um, and then continue to live as you were before. Being a disciple is the idea of getting up every single day and, and recommitting, reestablishing your faith in the Lord and your commitment to follow after Him. It's something that takes time. So, so when Jesus sends uh, sends them out to make disciples he intends for them to do more than just an evangelistic service and then move on he actually hopes for them to establish them to spend time there for them to teach them what it is to be disciples and so he he confirms and he expands on that in the next in another part of the passage where he te- he says to teach the disciples to obey and and Owen mentioned this last week briefly he the, the passage does not read baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, or excuse me, teaching them uh, all that I have commanded you, right? There's, there's that short clause in there that says to observe. He's careful, he's intentional with his disciples to say this goes beyond mere words. His primary concern in, the, in this issue is not uh, just that people simply grow in their intellectual knowledge of God, but that they grow in their ability to do what it says. Right? Other uses of that word observe in Scripture um, come across as things like guarding the commandments that I have taught you or keeping, obviously keeping the commandments that I have taught you. See, if all we do is, is study and we never do, what we've done is we've proven not to understand that which we spent so much time studying. That's what's meant in, in James 1 when it says be doers of the word and not hearers only and thus deceiving yourself. We're not to deceive ourselves by thinking just learning the commandments is enough. We must also do. And so what, what is the difference then? What's the difference between teaching them the commandments and teaching them to observe the commandments? Well really it, it's the difference between telling someone what to do and showing them what to do. It's, it's hands-on. It's being involved in their life. It's leading by example. It's not just telling them how to navigate life's n- difficulties. It's actually navigating them alongside one another. Jesus' intent for us is that we am, be involved in the obedience of each other's walk in the Lord. And then th- that, that comes to our last point. That, that ties into the last point, which is that of, of being more than one person. That this is in reference To more than one person that seems obvious right obviously he's sending people to go talk to other people. That's that's a multi-person effort there It's absolutely essential in the life of a faithful Christian to involve more than just your own personal relationship with God Right certainly God can can make us disciples without the help of others He doesn't need us but the method and means that he chooses to use is one another Right? And, and we need to look no further than his own ministry. How does, how does he choose to model this for us? He takes 12 guys who he didn't need. Right? He didn't need their help. In fact, it's, it tends to be the opposite. Right? They, they tend to get in the way. Right? They, they ask the wrong questions. They, they assume the wrong things. They seem to take forever to get the points that he's trying to make. Why does he do that? He does that in order that they might learn more directly through his ministry, doing ministry alongside him, having meals with him, right? He wants them to learn his teaching through his example. In fact, he even singles a few out to be part of his inner circle, right? To, to be there for both the highs and the lows. Peter, James, and John, they get the opportunity to go with Jesus to the mountain, right? To witness uh, great miracles like the transfiguration. They get to be there for the high points, But they're also the people that get invited to go even further into the Garden of Gethsemane with him when he's struggling and when he's walking through anxiety. And this is, I think, an incredibly helpful picture uh, in Scripture of what this kind of relationship looks like. In Matthew 26, which is a few chapters earlier, in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus is, is showing us an example of his humanness, of him dealing with sorrow and anxiety. And yes, his, his primary concern is to, is to retreat and spend time praying with his father But at the same time, he also desires for his closest friends to be around him. He invites them to share in the hardship that he is walking through. So that's the model he lays out for us. Having people so close to you that they're for both the highs and the lows. And Jesus doesn't just show that model. Uh, He he actually says it explicitly. He makes a special point to command uh, his disciples that they should follow his example and love one another. And we might say, okay, well, that's true of me. I, I love the people of Emmaus. I love the people in my Sunday school class. I've, I've got that down. I, I love people. But as Jesus often does, he raises the bar, right? He, he talks about a kind of love that is more than your average uh, relational love, right? He says not only to love one another, but that we're to love one another in such a way that the whole world would see us and be able to identify Christ in us so, so that's what we have to ask ourselves as we evaluate our relationships is can we say our love models that, that 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 the world would be so impressed by our love for one another that they would see something different that they would see something different than what they have in fact that they would see Christ in us it's it's kind of like that old old cliche right that that if uh, if being a Christian was against the law here um, would there be enough evidence to convict you well, the, the same could be asked, if loving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ were against the law in this way, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That, that idea of loving one another, it goes deep. It's wanting, to be, wanting people to be with you on the mountain and needing them to be with you in the garden. And that's the discipleship that's meant in Matthew 28. So, so if that's so clear, if that's such, such an important part of the Christian faith, what keeps us from it? Why do we find ourselves with so few meaningful relationships? How do we, how do we end up with the majority of our struggles and spiritual struggles and, and darkness unknown to those around us? And I, there are a lot of answers, there are a lot of things. That could be, a, be an answer to that. But I, I think there are a few that, that rise to the top that I want us to talk about this morning, these barriers to relational discipleship. And the first is that I think we're just not very practiced in building relationships, right? And, and as, as someone who is just naturally introverted, this is, a difficult, this is a difficult one for me. Sometimes I appreciate how much privacy and how much comfort our, our culture provides, Right? We, have, we have big fences around our yards. We keep our, we keep our doors closed. We don't, we don't engage and talk to our neighbors. So, so naturally, we're just not very practiced in the art of building relationships. We let our, our comfort within that privacy keep us from wanting to reach out and get to know, truly get to know others. Right? Have you ever been to a restaurant and you've seen those, those booths that are they're long booths and they stretch over like four or five tables? And they have, they have a table here, a table here. I hate those things. That my, like truly my heart sinks when the waiter or waitress heads to one of those because I know what's about to happen. I'm about to have to sit six inches from somebody else for an hour and pretend like we can't hear each other's conversations, right? Act like we're in a totally different way. I hate those tables, right? Because it's not natural for me to, to want to, to meet a stranger, to get to know someone. Right? And so what I learned in that is that I'm going to have to be intentional. I'm going to have to put forth effort in order to, to change what is natural in me for that. Because our, our culture is not designed to facilitate us getting to know one another. Right? Our, we, we are designed, and we, we, the culture around us has designed it to make us comfortable. Well, as Christians, we're not here to be comfortable. Right? We're here for the purpose of Christ, we're here to sacrifice. Our, our life is to be sacrificed for the Lord in encouraging other believers. And so I and us, are, we're going to have to push ourselves beyond that comfort, beyond that privacy in order to, to exercise knowing others and building relationships. We've got to push past that. The second barrier uh, that we see is that um, it requires the sacrifice of considering others better than ourselves. Really what I mean is it's it's hard building these kinds of relationships is is difficult Right, this is an extension kind of of the the last point, but given to our own desires We're not going to naturally seek out meaningful relationships Right, we might get to know people that we just enjoy being around and we we enjoy doing activities with But today we're we're talking about a a relationship that takes effort. It takes difficulty in order to build it means putting aside your own needs for the sake of someone else. It means setting aside your pride enough to be vulnerable to allow someone to see the darkest parts of you. It means being encouraged for one another. Not not faking encouragement, but truly being encouragement when we see those around us in success and doing well and things going great when things for us are not going great. Right? That's, that's difficult. And, and there's, a, there's a great example of, of kind of these two extremes, the idea of not caring about one another and caring about one another when we see in, in David's relationships, right? Particularly first David and Saul. When David and Saul served and, and fought together, Saul could have been happy for David, right? They were on the same team. They were, they were pursuing the same goal. David served Saul well he should have been pleased with how David served him, but instead, what does he do? He gets jealous. He gets, he gets angry to the point when, when people come out and they sing a song praising the both of them for how they had done in battle, and instead of being happy, Saul is, Saul's frustrated that David's mentioned in the song. He, he's, he's frustrated at the, at the very idea that people might think that David killed more people than me. Right? He's jealous. He lets, that, he lets that go on and spiral out of control until he becomes a madman trying to kill David. And then you compare that to David's relationship with Jonathan. See, Jonathan could have easily been considered next in line for, for the throne after his father Saul. So if anybody was a, should have felt threatened by David, it was Jonathan. Right? He's truly the one who could have been jealous, who, who should have seen him as a threat. But instead, he chooses to strengthen David in his faith, to encourage him. He takes off his robe and his armor and he gives it to David. And he says, you're going to be the king of Israel. I'm going to stand by your side. He was willing to sacrifice for their friendship, for their relationship. If we are to pursue discipleship through our relationships this willingness to sacrifice is a must-have as long as people seeking discipleship are, are most concerned with themselves no one's going to benefit even if we even if we were to say that we don't need others it's not true we do but even if we say i don't need someone else to help me at the very least, you're still robbing someone else of, of the benefit and the encouragement that you could be providing for them. So we have to, we have to flip our priorities and understand we're, we're not only there for us to grow, but we're there for each other to grow. We are not an island. Our action or our inaction has an effect on the whole body. And so we have to be willing to sacrifice in that way. And then the, the last barrier um, is that of just not having the right purpose. Not having the right mission. The most helpful thing in in any endeavor is having the right sense of why you are doing something. And when the answers for that why are varied, when they're ununified, it's difficult to understand what the end goal is. And so for us, the, the end goal must always be the glorification of Christ. That is the reason the church exists to bring him glory through relationships that encourage us to shine a light on the gospel to the world. Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So when a, when a Sunday school class a small group, an accountability partnership, whatever it may be, when they lose sight of that fact and that goal, it's difficult to have real success. All of our discipleship efforts here at Emmaus are meant to facilitate discipleship relationships for the purpose of the gospel. It's it's not a secret, it's not a trick, it's not anything we, we try to hide. Everything that we do, women's ministry, men's ministry, Sunday school, small groups, men's groups, whatever it may be, they're all meant to be an opportunity to come alongside other brothers and sisters and be sanctified together as well as be a means of sanctification for each other so that we might take full advantage of this means of grace that God has has laid out for us for the purposes of his glory. See, if we can be unified in that goal, we stand a much better chance of accomplishing the purpose of Emmaus, to use one another that we might better proclaim and display Jesus. So that's the, that's the goal, and that, that's something we have to center ourselves around. If we're gonna get past that barrier, we have to be unified in that goal. And so what does, what does this look like? What are all the elements to discipleship, and particularly relational discipleship? What's the framework? Well, the first part is, is what you do in private. Now, I realize that's, that seems backwards to everything else that I just said, but what I want to point out is that those things come together. They work together. Being a disciple of Jesus happens both in private and with one another. In fact, both of those efforts positively impact the other. Right? Your personal time in the Word is what spurs you to encourage a brother and sister in need. And that encouragement that you receive from from a friend is what reminds you to continue the fight for holiness. So those two aren't aren't mutually exclusive, they're mutually beneficial. By far the the most successful relational discipleship efforts are those where everyone in the group or, or those in the group are spending personal, private time in the Word pursuing the Lord. And then what that allows to happen is for, for, for the one in the group or the partnership who is, who is struggling, who is not doing well, who is, who is not doing those things in private, it allows the stronger one to come alongside them and, and help them up, right, to, to restore them to repentance. And then undoubtedly what will happen, because we all have seasons and we all have struggles and difficulties, those roles will reverse and, and the stronger will become weaker. And what happens then? Again, they come alongside one another and build one another up, encourage one another up in the faith. And so as we grow individually, we need to also understand that that benefits us growing together, collectively. So that's the first part of the framework. The the second part of the framework is that of weekly gatherings. That's, of course, what we're hopefully doing right now. Um, we have these, these weekly gatherings so that we might be encouraged by the local body to worship the Lord together, to learn from what He is showing us all together. Right? Just as a soldier is encouraged by standing next to his fellow soldiers, so, so we have an opportunity to be encouraged standing shoulder to shoulder as we worship the Lord together. That God has provided other like-minded people that have been brought to faith that are fighting the same, the same battles that we are to walk alongside us and to be in those trenches with us. But that can only happen if we take full advantage of our time here, right? That, that the value of a, of a Sunday morning is not just what happens between 10.30 and 11.45. It's not just what happens between 9.15 and 10.15, right? We have to take advantage of this opportunity as from the parking lot, Right? as soon as we hit the door. Owen has mentioned before that sometimes it's easy to think of church attendance as something that's a passive activity, that our involvement stops basically with just showing up. But that's not true. We need to be active as soon as we get here, ser- seeking out one another, serving one another, encouraging each other, meeting new people, meeting new believers. Right? It's a natural opportunity for us to, to check in on one another, Right To understand that the conversations that happen in the hallway can be just as beneficial as the content of the Sunday school lesson. Right, because all of those are serving the purpose of discipleship. If we are active, if we are n- intentional about our time here. The third piece of the framework is that of relationships. What I mean by that is, is, is close relationships. That what happens when you see a friend every Sunday morning and you say hello. That's, that's one level of relational discipleship. What I mean by, by this point is moving beyond that weekly check-in and into a more meaningful, intimate friendship. David and Jonathan, again, give us a great example of what this looks like. Just a few verses before what we looked at earlier in 1 Samuel 18. It says, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul right that's a relationship that goes beyond just just your average buddy these men loved each other like family and it's this type of relationship that's really at the heart of what I'm, what I'm calling for this morning. A closeness that truly allows for compassion and for care. To see beyond the outer shell that we all have and truly know someone. To be willing to sacrifice for them and at the same time hold them accountable. To bear each other's burdens and actively encourage each other in our pursuit of the Lord. Right? This is to make discipleship a constant part of your life by inviting others to share in your life and you in theirs. To bring really together your walk with the Lord. And so we're to pursue those kinds of deep, meaningful relationships. And then the last, the last part of the framework is that of family, right? These are the relationships and friends that you don't get to choose, Right, these are the ones you're stuck with. Right? If, but if the season allows for you to have, have family, to have a relationship with, with family of, of believers, it's a great opportunity. God intends for that to be a time and a season of encouragement also. That, that you have, sometimes you have all the benefits of, of Christian relationship and discipleship living in your home. Right? Whether it's your, your spouse, your parents, your, your children, whomever, it's an opportunity and reminder that your discipleship affects all areas of your life and follows you every moment of every day. Now, yes, some, sometimes being honest and vulnerable with, with family can be more difficult than, than those outside your family, but doing so provides the opportunity for those who know you in, in, a, very, in a unique and up-close way to speak into your life and encourage you as as very few people can. And so we're to we're to take advantage of that as well. Don't don't forget that you have you have family that has been given to you by God, in order to help you grow and you to help them grow. And so, as as I've said, I, I know that what I'm asking is not it's not easy. It's not it's not simple, and it doesn't happen doesn't happen overnight. But we can can seek to be faithful in this pursuit if we make the effort, if we're intentional and we take advantage of some some helps with relational discipleship. And the first one is that we determine our need. If you don't see a need for this, you, you certainly won't pursue it. And so my encouragement to you this morning, evaluate the relationships that you have. See if they fulfill what the Bible describes. Do you have those people in your life that you can take with you to the garden? Those that care for you and you for them. Can it be said of you that you're bearing one another's burdens? Would your love for one another be so strong and so obvious that those that are around you would see it and think of Christ? Right. That's the bar, that's the measure. So determine if you have a need for growth in this area, and I would, I would assume that most of us do. The second help I have for us is that of embracing the awkward. Right. Building relationships uh, is not easy, and maybe one of the hardest part about building relationships is the beginning. Right. it's Just know it's going to be awkward. It's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be bumpy. Right? A- approaching someone who you kind of only know as an acquaintance and wanting to pursue a, a deeper relationship with them, that, that can feel kind of weird. Like, whatever you do, don't take David and Jonathan's words and say, hey, I'd like to make a covenant with you. I'd like to knit our souls together. Right? Don't, don't do that. Like, that, it works for them culturally. Please don't use those words. You will freak people out. So don't make it more awkward than it has to be. But know that it, it's, it's going to be awkward. In, in some sense, there is going to be, uh, there's gonna be one of you who has to take the initiative to take those conversations deeper than they were before, right? To, to stop talking about the basketball game from last night and to begin talking about sin and difficulty and encouragement. So be the one who's willing to jump off that cliff in order to push the relationship to where it can be. Don't let discomfort, don't let awkwardness keep you from experiencing the value and the benefits of relational discipleship. And the next one is is somewhat like it, but it's be real. Right? Be open. Be honest about who you are. The only way for for these kinds of relationships to be successful, to be beneficial, is for the other person to be able to see you for who you really are. Right? That, That applies to your thoughts as well as your openness about your sin, right? So when you're, when you're thinking, man, I, I can't share what I'm thinking about this situation, or I can't, I can't share that, everybody else is going to think I'm weird or dumb, or they're, they're just not going to understand, know that that's not true, right? Have you ever been reading a, a book, like a, like a spiritual Christian book, and, and you think, oh, my goodness, like, this person knows me. Like, has he been following me around because this, this guy knows me? That happens because there's there's nothing new under the sun. That if you were to be open about your thoughts, open about your struggles, you'll find that we're all struggling with those things. That many people struggle with the same things that you do. And the same goes for, for confession of your sin. James 5, 16 says, "'Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. With sin, know that it, that it thrives in the darkness. That when we hold back our sin, or, or when we try to make it sound a, a little bit better than it really is, we're allowing it to live on in our life. To cower in that, in that one corner that we've left dark. Only to return again later. Overwhelming light and confession is, is all that can start us down the path of repentance. Right? And so we have to decide what, what's most important to me. My, my uh, reputation before men or my repentance and joy in the Lord. And so relational discipleship allows us that opportunity if we are willing to be Real and to be open and then the last thing would be commit through the discouraging times group discipleship is like any other spiritual discipline that there are going to be times when things go great and you and and those around you and those you have relationship with you are slaying the dragons of of sin and difficulty and doubt and things are going great and then there are going to be times when you walk away from a meeting and think what am What am I even doing here? That was a waste of an hour. That was a waste of a coffee. Things things are going to be awkward. They're not going to be natural. Some people aren't going to be committed to the goal of of the group or the relationship. And you'll wonder why you're even doing this. It's during those times that it is is most important to keep your eyes fixed on the prize and that of knowing Christ. Christ. That that he has not only purchased our salvation through his death on the cross, but that he has also purchased the ability to sustain us in our faith through one another. And so my encouragement to you in those times, press on. Know that the reward will come in faithfulness, keeping in mind all that he intends to do through the church. And we see that in Ephesians 3, verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So we keep in mind his power, his ability to use those relationships. We can be encouraged and know that they will lead to great value that we can claim the the jewel of relational discipleship so what are the next steps and I'll leave you with this but what are some things that I can do now if, if I'm convinced of this need what can I do well the first is to pray pray for relational discipleship to come into your life right, consider how to grow in your current relationships. Look at those around you. How can you take those relationships and grow? Think about, think about your current Sunday school class, your, your small group, and see how you can help them facilitate relational discipleship, right? As I said, that's our, that's our goal. That's our, that's our point. That's why we, that's why we do it, is we want people to, to grow together. So look for how your, your existing group can can accomplish these things. And lastly, if you're not already in a group, if you've not had a chance to to check one out, I, I would strongly urge you, encourage you to to consider joining one, or for that matter, starting one. Right, if there's not one that, that works for you. So we're not we're not particular about where and how and when. We just want disciples being made. And so if there's any way that we can help you, come alongside you and, and help you with that, let's, let's do it. You have my contact information there. You, you know how to get a hold of the church. Let us help you pursue relational discipleship. We're going we're to take some time and, and sing <clears throat> one more song this morning before we're, um, before we're dismissed. And I would just encourage you, um, as you, as you go about your day, as you go about your week, Think about the role of relationships in your life. Evaluate these things. Ask yourself those, those diagnostic questions of, do I have these kinds of relationships and how can I have them? Because the word tells us that they will have benefit. They will help us to grow. And so as we sing this song, I would encourage you, spend time praying. Um, spend time thinking about these things. Considering what the Lord can do by faith in us. Let's pray and we'll sing that song. Father, we love you. We know that you are good. You are holy. You are just. That you go beyond what we could ever possibly imagine in what you provide for us. I pray that you would stir in our hearts a need for relationships. We thank you for the means of grace that you have given us. I pray that we would no longer neglect them but seek to take full advantage of what it can provide. Help us to grow in our love for you. Help us as Emmaus consider the goal of proclaiming and displaying your son through one another. We thank you for your son. And the very reason we have a commonality here this morning is that we have been saved through the blood of the cross. I pray that our minds and our hearts would be fixed on him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.